0: So you can have a distributed database architecture that's just replicated, but you've still got one version, of, one version of the truth. And then you have to partition that around rules and roles and who can see what. Um, you don't need to do that anymore. You can use the um, architecture that DLT provides to have a data structure that only you can see. Right? So it's, it's easier to apply rules to this architecture, and it's more resilient, this, this actually is more resilient than for say a centralized database or even a replicated database.
1: That is Justin Amos and this is episode 33 of the Blockchain Pro Podcast. to episode 33 of the Blockchain Pro podcast. I'm Adriana Balotti and today's guest is Justin Amos. Throughout his career, Justin has held a variety of interesting roles in top-tier financial services organizations, working all over the globe, which landed him in Sydney in early 2017. He has recently been hired by Ligon to commercialize a DLT-based bank guarantee. You will hear us joking about Take-Two at the beginning because I don't know why, but the recorder kept failing on me as we tried to record this interview, but hey, we got there in the end. So without further ado, let's get to know Justin. Hi Justin. Hello. Take-Two.
0: Show you this again?
1: How are you going?
0: Yeah, I'm just pretty same as well, 30 seconds ago. Yeah. <laughs> very good, thank you. Very good. Very busy. Very busy, uh, but uh, all good, thank you. Yeah. So
1: we were talking about how interesting this year has been.
0: Yes. Yeah, challenging year for everybody, right? And yeah. um, but you know, from a you know, selfish point of view, it's been a, it's been a good year for me um, professionally and personally. Health, fitness, family, all those things are important. And, you know managed to carve out some time for all of them and it's been uh, pretty good thank you yeah.
1: that is really good to hear because this year has been challenging i guess for everybody yeah for some people more than others so i'm really blessed that we can sit here today and talk about that face to face
0: yeah exactly yeah <laughs> exactly at
1: about a meter distance
0: yeah well sh- <laughs> 1.5 now. Anyway. Your, your, your spatial awareness is poor. That's it's okay. 1.5 no meters. There's no community it's transmission.
1: 5 there's no community transmission in Sydney, mm. so we're yeah. good. Are we? Are we yeah, are we? I guess I'd... we are.
0: All right. Okay. Take before we print. dig
1: into what's happening right now, let's go back in time and talk about how you started. You started your professional life, and yeah. I know there's some interesting twists <laughs> there. <laughs> Anecdotes.
0: Yeah, I'll try being, you know, today. I'll Try and be brief on that. Yeah, so um, no, I've been uh, working for close to twenty-seven years, I guess, something like that. Trying to give my age away, but. Um,
1: what did you do at uni?
0: Uh, economics, economics and uh, economic history. Okay. But predominantly the economic side of that. Um, yeah, I was always always going to do economics at uni from the age of about twelve, okay. I think. And I was interested How did in you commerce. Get interest? Okay. I was just. One of those kids that sold sweets at school and things like that, and was always, you know, wheeling and dealing as best you could. (laughs) Um, So it was one of those things I was just naturally interested in it in commerce and theory of money and things like that. So, yeah, and I fancied going into capital markets when I was probably about 15, 16. So it was a path that, you know, was trodden, was a well trodden path that I thought I should go down as well. Um, And yeah, it it was good.
1: But but your your f- was fun. First job out of uni had nothing to do with economics.
0: Well it kind of well, <laughs> it kinda of was. If you talk to me, I had a six month selling cars, if that's what <laughs> <laughs> if that's what you're referring to. No, I'm referring <laughs>
1: to the soccer. Oh, playing
0: footy. Yeah. Well, no, my that, that was semi professional. I'd like to be able to say I was good enough <laughs> to be a full time football player. Uh but it was a semi professional, yeah. But I think what you're leaning into there was the fact how did I get my job at JP Morgan? Yep. Yeah, well, I'd like to claim it was academia and personality but the hiring manager was actually the gentleman who was the uh, JP Morgan football club's manager and uh, he looked at my CV and um, the fact that I played semi-professional in the first team at uni and uh, said can I come and play for him for JP Morgan I said well give me a job and we'll start there (laughs) so we started there and very shortly thereafter we had two good seasons we won the bank leagues twice and, oh,
1: there uh, you go, I didn't even
0: know there was a bank league. Yeah, 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 bank, financial services league it was, yeah. and, uh, so banks and insurers, yeah, pretty good standard in London. Yeah. And uh, yeah, did that for a couple of years and then moved over to uh, New York uh, on the 60 Wall Street office, was there for five years, doing many things around emerging market derivatives, bond index swaps, um, sat next to Blythe when she invented credit derivatives. Um, that's a circular comment, you can come back to that later. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, just had a, had a good career. Um, Tokyo, two years, back to London for seven, um, building out electronic trading platforms and things like that. So, really getting into the technology side of the world. Um, and then left JP Morgan and the safety of that nest um, to set up a, a startup using algo trading technology for market surveillance. That was a very interesting five year journey. Um, we successfully exited and then did a two year earnout. Um, and then I got a call from Blythe Masters again to, uh, to see if I wanted to join Digital Asset because they were just establishing themselves, um, making their first hires. And that's how I came to coming Australia. to Australia. Uh, so I was APAC lead for, for DA with the ASX for a year.
1: That must have been an interesting time.
0: Yeah, it was... Um, it was chaos, it was great. (laughs) Um, It was was such a fast moving environment at the time, you know it, you were involved in it. And um, what we were doing there and and getting the message out, we were always on aeroplanes, always at some forum somewhere talking about what we were doing and what the world was doing around blockchain um, and DLT um, and promoting what the ASX was doing and trying to build that capability up. Um, So there, it was a good year. Um, But I got an opportunity to move to work with some great guys at PwC um, in building their blockchain practice up and starting building technologies around um, disputed ledgers and using um, a collection of startups to work with us on putting like different pilots and proof of concepts together and it was that variety in the movement into crypto that um, was really appealing in that role. And um, did that for three years.
1: When, yeah. when did you start with PwC? Start
0: um, with January 2017.
1: Okay, so it was like almost at the peak of the last bull market. Yeah. yeah. going a bit crazy. Yeah, 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 exactly,
0: exactly. And and that's when the ICO market was just going, going bonkers. Um, not something necessary that we could get too involved in at, at PwC because of the nature of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did do an awful lot of advisory work around the around the edges and things like that. So no, that was a that was a great 3 years. It's did so many worked with so many great companies, did lots of great reviews, um, right from new public networks to the private ledgers. Um, built great product. It was it was really good, and we worked with some great people. Yeah, really enjoyed that. Learned a lot.
1: And what's happening now?
0: Yeah. Right. So. <laughs> Um, I Do you
1: have exciting
0: news. Yeah, the exciting news, uh, and that's why this is quite timely, is um, on November the 2nd of this year, 2020, um, I took on a role as the CEO of uh, an entity called Ligon. Um, the actual name is Ligon 1B, but it will be trading as Ligon. And what Ligon is, is the um, product or output Oh, three years of hard labor and graft um, from three banks, um, a landlord and a technology services provider. And the banks are CBA, ANZ and Westpac. And then we've got Center Group um, and IBM, um, and the IBM's blockchain platform um, and the uh, Hyperledger fabric component architecture as well in the middle of that. Um, And what has been designed and built and will soon to be launched publicly is a piece of financial market infrastructure. Which does? Which digitizes financial assets. And the first financial asset that's going to be put on this network is a bank guarantee. All right. right. Um, So very exciting time. This has been a big, big piece of work, a lot of effort from the participants in the market to define and design then from the partner in banks, Center Group and IBM to work through the real hard yards in creating a digital framework and a standard from banks to the marketplace on what a digital certificate needs to be in the bank guarantee space. And that's been, and Mallison's have been at the middle front end of this right the way through. And it's been a very challenging journey for everybody to Get all of the paperwork in place and the definitions in place, and signed up to and subscribed to, to be able to make this work.
1: For the people who are new to financial markets, what is a bank
0: guarantee, um, and why
1: is it important to digitize it?
0: Yeah, okay, that's a good, good question. There. All right. So, um, a bank guarantee isn't. I mean, it is part of the banking world, oh. right? Um, I, I, it's more commonly known outside of financial services because a retailer, mm-hmm. for example, knows what a bank guarantee is, right? A beneficiary is a landlord. They know what a bank guarantee is. Um, and obviously then you've got an issuer. Mm-hmm. And an issuer has predominantly nearly always been banks. It's not always the case anymore because insurers are in that space as well now. Okay. Um, so that, they're the participants in, in a bank guarantee issuance process. Um, And why is it important to change this Um, is the latency or friction in the process from an applicant to a beneficiary to a bank back to the beneficiary to the applicant um, is the single biggest pain point in most landlords and retailers' journey um, in in actually getting those businesses to market. If you speak to any centre owner, for example, and this is just one type. One example, right? If you speak to a centre owner and ask them the question, "What's the one thing you can change?" Uh, the answer is always about the bank guarantee process. It's the biggest point of risk because they've got a they've got a retailer that wants to get the keys to the space to start fitting out, so they can start on their journey. Um, they the retailer wants, sorry, the the landlord wants to give them the keys so they can start, right? But they have to wait until there's a certain amount of assurances in place. And these assurances take a long time to pull together because right now they're made of paper. They rely on the post. They get lost in the post. They cannot be amended. They get eaten by someone's dog. They're a bearer certificate, effectively. So the paper process, which has been around for 500 years, isn't necessarily fit for purpose in in the commercial environment we're in now. So when asked, by the banks when they asked their customer base what what can we do for you they said change the bank guarantee process right. um, and that's where this journey started
1: and now yeah. it's changed from how many days to how many days well we
0: d- yeah well you know we'd like to say we can do it in a day um, it doesn't take very much time at all to issue a digital certificate but you still have the KYC mm. and the AML and those, those, those all of the checkpoints and due diligence points still take time, but at least you have this recorded in one place and certified and ledgerized all right, in a digital form. So that's, kind of, that, that's one of the significant changes to the timeline. It's all in one place and you can approve it, it'll, the workflow will give it to me, I can approve it and the workflow will go to the next person and they can approve it. And that's just the issuance part of it one of the greatest risks in the paper bank guarantee process is nobody gets to amend them because okay. it's too hard it's not worth the effort almost okay. so if you have a bank guarantee that's say uh, on a for a landlord for example that's a percentage of the the rental price well that rental price is going up every year the bank guarantee doesn't change right so the risk profile of everybody's kind of out of sync to where they would want it to be because mm-hmm. it's just too difficult to amend these things. And when asked if you could amend it, would it? Would you? The answer is absolutely we would. How many times a year? Two or three times. Oh, wow. That's kind of how out of sync the guarantee is to the business owner on where they'd want that guarantee to be. Right. So everybody we speak to are uh, open arms saying, Will you hurry up? We want to get on your platform. Um, so we feel like we're going to make a big difference, which is great.
1: That's exciting. Yeah. And is uh, like on a blockchain?
0: Um, the blockchain? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: is it a D- DLT? It Let's is. Let's talk about the difference of the two. Yeah.
0: It's, it's, it, in my, in my like to say, informed view, mm-hmm. um, I would say it is a DLT. I, I probably wouldn't call it out as being a a traditional blockchain as you as you would describe the bitcoin network or the ethereum network etc cetera, etc cetera. with it being a private ledger the, the the need for consensus isn't isn't as strong um, and therefore there is no need to to mine blocks mm-hmm. okay you've got distributed databases um, privacy protocols etc and all the other component architecture that you have um, that gets provided by the IBM's blockchain platform, mm-hmm. IBP, but I, I would say that you don't have the proof of work consensus requirement and you don't have a block. You have distributed databases. That's, my, that's, that's how I would describe it. Right. But we're on IBM's blockchain platform. So you, if people want to split hairs on it, they can go and speak to IBM. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't
1: think people will want to split hairs. Uh, what I'm getting to this is A lot of people who are critical of distributed ledger technology says that databases are databases. So why would you not just have databases? What is the advantage of a DLT over a traditional database?
0: A centralized database, I think, is what you're I mean, trying to ask the question about. So, what's, what's, what, why is one better than the other? Yeah. There's, there's plenty of reasons why you'd want to have a centralized database, um, and you can also have a version that's not, that's not necessarily centralized but um, replicated. So, you can have a distributed database architecture that's just replicated, but you've still got one version of one version of the truth, and then you have to partition that around rules and roles and who can see what. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need to do that anymore. You can use the um, architecture that DLT provides to have a data structure that only you can see. Right? So it's, it's easier to apply rules to this architecture and it's more resilient, this, this architecture is more resilient than for say a centralized database or even a replicated database on the same data, if you know what I mean. So. Having, having a distributed data model with the data available just to those who have permission to see that data um, is, is pretty critical when you're trying to provide, a when you're trying to operate as a market operator with multiple participants on it using sensitive data.
1: So that means... Only the, the entity who's allowed to see that little bit of data can see it, mm-hmm. but everybody that's on that infrastructure is playing by the exact same
0: rules. Yeah, now we, we have a series of participant rules that people have to subscribe to and sign up to when they, um, when they join, when, when they're onboarded. And those rules define how, how, how they are supposed to operate on the platform and what protocols are supposed to follow. Um, so we, we have obviously have to, have to have that in place. I mean, naturally, a workflow will will um, coalesce between the participants and how they want to do it. You're not going to say you have to do it within a certain time frame, stuff like that. But the actual rules and the role definitions of people on the network are pretty clear and distinct. Yeah,
1: that's pretty cool. So, you're excited about this.
0: I'm yeah, I'm to- <laughs> so excited. It's, it's you know when you first start a new role, you you're generally excited, yeah. and then you then you kind of go 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 down the curve a little bit <laughs> into the valley of despair. Like how can we possibly do this? Uh, yeah. And then you start putting key hires in place to to sort of like, take the load off your shoulders and go like yeah, okay, you're good at that, you're good at that, you're good at that. This is everything that we need to do um, to be able to launch as a market operator. And um, and then when when you kind of like take a step back after your first month and, and you realise the growth of the team already uh, and the feedback from the market and the readiness of the market and the clients to do this, you know, we're going to be launching a piece of financial markets infrastructure next in the next quarter in Q, Australian Q3, I always want to call it Q1. But, um, and it's going to be around for an awful long time. It's really exciting. It's going to make a big difference to people. And this is just the first cup off the ring. The way it's been designed is on a template form, so we're talking about bank guarantees, is a digital bank guarantee, well, okay, what's the next one that comes out? Um, I mean, the difference between a bank guarantee and a letter of credit is, from a digital perspective, is nominal. From a legal framework, that's a different, different conversation. But to be able to put the next digital guarantee on there, or a the next digital bond, or an insurance bond, um, is, is not, not a big uplift for us at all. Um, so we will just be thinking that through um and pivoting where our customers and our customers we have a product council for our early adopters um who are gathering to talk about well, what does the roadmap look like for 2021. And I'm so I'm really excited and enthused by the engagement by people already onto you know what they want next. So yeah it, it is it is very exciting. Now 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 now, now it's achievable. <laughs> uh, it's taken me about three or four weeks to feel comfortable. And <laughs> uh, we've got a great partner in IBM, right? So, you know, what, what, whatever needs lifting, they can do the heavy lifting, right? To get stuff out the door. Um, our re- the platform resiliency and uptime is, is mission critical to what we're doing. Um, IBM have been in market infras- financial market infrastructure for a lot longer than I've been on this planet. Mm-hmm. Right. and um, um, that's a great partner for us to to ensure that as, as a market operator we can be able we can provide what the market needs
1: let's switch gears a bit um, what kind of resources would you recommend for you know people who want to learn more about blockchain or who want to understand more about blockchain and financial markets and dlt and that intersection
0: yeah all right so which kind of resources um, people should be kind of like reaching out for or, f- or trying to find. It generally depends on what they want to do. If it's a technical, it's one. if It's business. If it's trending, it's two. It's three. But um, you know, I was I personally um, think that the digital channels can just kind of give you um, kind of the tidbits, the interesting interesting sound bites. But often there's links to white papers. Um, and write-ups. I mean like we said earlier on in this interview I've got an economics background so I'm very interested in the economics of um, where the markets are moving with respect to new technologies. Part of my role at PwC was head of emerging tech right so it's not just blockchain and um, so you know read medium is a often a balanced viewpoint as well. Um, I try and avoid bias So I don't necessarily read too much into um, what Coindesk are reporting and things like that around the crypto side. I just I just can't take I can't take it on face value anymore Um, with all due respect to Coindesk. Right. I just don't read that kind of um, those materials. Um, But then for me, you've got to you've got to just work in the environment. Your forums and meetups and things like that are, are generally great for meeting people that can give you the opportunity to go and do something. I mean, more often than not, it's a pitch. All yeah. right, so, <laughs> so, you know, pitches are generally bias. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so so you've got to take some of those with a pinch of salt. But, um, but you're definitely going to meet people there, and you might meet people that you want to work with. Uh, try and find, if you're, if you're new in space, try and find somebody that, that might be able to mentor you, um, whether they know they're mentoring you or not. It's a different thing, but, you know, people that you can learn from um, and that can give you a steer as to, as to what you might want to be looking at, if, there's, if you can define what you want to do. That, that's, there's plenty of people who've been in this space for you know, half a decade and more, um, that, uh, and I find that nearly everybody in our space is more than happy to find time to, to help um, steer and guide people. So I, that's, that probably is a good piece of um, advice. I agree. I'm
1: gonna ask you a final question. Which is, as an economist, what do you think about Bitcoin?
0: As an economist, not as a technologist, right? So purely from a, from a markets perspective, Yeah. Um, well, I've given up trying to find correlation um, as to say the news um, um, and, and why Bitcoin does what it does. Um, you can look to the futures markets for example and, and look for expiries on futures markets and trying to work out what might happen, it was pretty obvious that rolling into Thanksgiving after a bull run that it was probably going to soften Right? I thought that was very obvious that that was going to happen, it, I wasn't so sure it was going to happen quite so severely so, You know, in a short of period of time that correction was pretty severe um, but do I, do I believe Uh, and buy into the narrative that technical analysis would say that Bitcoin is going to be worth over $100,000 by the end of 2021. Uh, No, I I do not believe in technical analysis of Bitcoin. Um, Slow growth over time due to utility. That's probably a better way of looking at it from an economist's perspective, Um, where where it's being picked up and being used um, and being held by. Everybody, because they've got it in their wallet as a transactional currency or a transactional token of value. Don't to really get called out and calling it a currency necessarily. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, um, is, is a better gauge to the long term value of something. Um, I'm a bit con- I'm concerned for Bitcoin in the sense for the um, upcoming um, central bank digital currency wave and what that might mean um, to the globalization of Bitcoin. As a, as a token of value for, for transactional purposes, because one of its, um, one of its you know, uh, values to me as a consumer is consumers to be able to use it seamlessly. Um, but if I can use you know, uh, an Aussie dollar equivalent, then I, um, that's linked to my bank account, I might use that instead.
1: How about Bitcoin as an alternative, just central bank currencies, digital or otherwise?
0: Mm. Well, it's happening. Um, probably a lot slower than everybody hoped. <laughs> um, but it, you know, but it may its its use its utility in that space may get may get compromised by you know digit, central bank digital currencies coming out because people can use that instead. Um, whether you want to use it because of your confidence in its value outweighs a confidence in the value of your domestic currency, well. You're buying things in domestic currency anyway, you're paid in domestic currency. The PPP of everything's in the domestic currency. So I don't I don't personally look at it um, through that lens as, a well am I going to use Bitcoin to buy this coffee? I'm going to use all these dollars to buy this coffee. You know what I mean? It's like I oh, wish should be interchangeable. I do like the new card that came out though. Uh, I can't remember the, uh, the supplier Vector like or something like that. There's a new Bitcoin credit card that came out. Um, really cool green card. Saw it the other week. I haven't seen that. Yeah, yeah. So basically, you can just basically load it up. Pretty seamless user experience, and then just go around. Oh, I think every every Visa terminal covers it. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's quite nice. So you wouldn't know the difference, You wouldn't. I don't really think you'd necessarily know the difference. The vendor, the the vendor wouldn't know that you're necessarily paying with with Bitcoin. You're just paying with but Visa. But you just, yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah. So that's 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 I like that. And that's a good user experience. Yeah, yeah, user
1: experience. It's all it's about. <laughs> yeah, pretty much.
0: I mean, I don't know what my Bitcoin position is. I don't know what it's worth. I don't know what it's worth now. I haven't looked at it for the last hour or so. I it's one of the first, <laughs> <laughs> my crypto wallets the first thing I look at when I wake up in the morning, which probably doesn't make my wife feel too clever. But, uh, <laughs> But yeah, you know, so I'm still pretty much in the crypto space too. So
1: That's good to hear. Yeah. All right, any final words? Um, the floor no. is yours. Yeah,
0: just look out, look out for Ligon, everybody. Um, we're going to have a, hopefully have a big launch um, in uh, the next quarter, so February or March, hopefully February. Um, and then, then we'll be digitizing bank guarantees and being, I think, the first national. Um, financial markets infrastructure operator using distributed technologies. Or blockchain, if you want oh. to call it that. <laughs> I think we're gonna be the first out. You'll have to call me on that.
1: Awesome. So watch out for those job opportunities, peeps. Mm. That we plenty. We're hiring. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, that's entrapment. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want a job? Thank you, Justin. (laughs) Thank you so much for bearing with me while we had these technical difficulties recording Uh, this today.
0: Consumer electronics. (laughs) Terrible.
1: (laughs) All right. Thanks.
0: All right. Thank you very much.
1: And that was the awesome Justin Amos. To connect with Justin, follow the links in the description. Make sure to let him know you heard his story and send him questions, um, talk to him about Ligen, just get in touch. Remember to follow the podcast on Twitter at blockchainpro underscore and subscribe on YouTube. Just search for Blockchain Pro channel. You can send guest requests and comments directly to me via our website, blockchainpropodcast.com. You know, I love getting feedback, so don't be shy. That's all from me today. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I will see you at the next block. Bye.